New Hope is a, is a you know is a pretty vibey, witchy place. And back then, you know, you really didn't know kind of what was going to happen. You know, there was something in the air. I don't even know what to, how to explain it. It's a witchy place, you know. In Pennsylvania, a terrible accident led to a mystery. A young man was pulled from the wreckage, but when he arrived at the hospital, his identity was a mystery. He became a John Doe, but his real name was Claude Coleman Jr. Was this mystery just a serious case of deja vu? Perhaps someone listening today will be able to help. Join us for another episode of Weencast as we get to the bottom of this unsolved mystery. Weencast, a ween podcast with Shane and Rory. Hey, what's up? This is Shane. And this is Rory. And this is Weencast. And we welcome you to a new episode. What is up, everybody? Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode. It's summertime. Summer, summer, summertime. Yeah. And it doesn't feel too warm right now, but it's uh, it's feeling good to be in summer anyway. Yeah, it's been a rainy, cold, chilly couple days, but I digress. <laughs> well, we are back with something we've been meaning to do for a little while, and we just got to get it out there. So the last couple of shows that we talked about were in... 2002 and we could not get away from 2002 without talking about Claude's accident and the Josh Freeze era but we wanted to go back and sort of discuss everything for the whole timeline around Claude's accident and Josh Freeze filling in for him for what seemed to be a lot longer than what it really was because it winds up being only six total shows. Hey, da, dee, da, dee, da, da, this is Weencast. Hey there, Sprinkle Genies. <laughs> you know that it's time for the stunningly staggering and stupendous Weencast summer contest? <laughs> Seriously, don't you like it's time you submitted an entry? About the best live Ween show that you've been to? And why? Who? <laughs> Hello, Molly. You're probably saying to yourself, why the hell would I want to submit an entry? Oh, well, listen, folks. The answer is very simple. <laughs> the winner gets a beautiful woodcraft prize from West Brandywine Woodworks. Oh, I'm getting moist. Submit an entry on Spotify or email us at wingcastpodcast at gmail.com or just hit us up on the socials. This is going to be the most swaggeringly ostentatious contest yet, so don't miss out. Entries are due by Labor Day. Happy summer, everyone! Is your cutting board dried out, ugly, and lacking luster? Do your tables have too many water rings to count and need a fix? Are your kitchen utensils old and damaged? Maybe you just want to add a little bit of natural wood beauty to your home. Whatever it is, you can count on West Brandywine Woodworks to provide for you. We make high-quality custom hardwood items for your home, 
From cutting boards to shelving, West Brandywine Woodworks has you covered. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Mention Weencast when you order for 21% off. So give us a like and a follow, and don't forget to mention Weencast for 21% off your order. West Brandywine Woodworks. Custom simplicity for your home. There's just so many things that go back to this time period of the end of 2002, the beginning of 2003, that are just so like monumental in the band's history. There's a lot of first, you know, first time for this or the last time, last time this ever happened. Just a lot of different things and a lot of things that go back when you start talking about the different eras in the band that would come after this and how they sort of sprung out and grew out of this time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. No, that's, that's well put. That's well put. So Claude's accident is um, August 7th of 2002. And at that point, Ween hadn't been playing for a few months. They played at Bonnaroo in June and they had a couple of shows in June and they had a few shows in May of that year and then a little tour in April. So Ween had been kind of idle, but they were starting to work on Quebec, as I recall. Yeah, a lot of the sh- the shows for that two thousand, the beginning of two thousand two, and those few shows that they did throughout the summer, you're starting to see some of those Quebec songs for the first time. Yeah, totally. We talked about the beginning of two thousand two, the Conduit and the Sterling Hotel, and then there really isn't that many shows after that. They play through April, few shows in May, and a few shows in June. And then they were obviously taking some time off because Claude was actually doing some shows with Amandla. And that's what he was in the middle of when he got into his accident. He was out hanging flyers for his upcoming Amandla tour. So it says the last memory he has is he's eating a slice of pizza and he's worried about getting a ticket. And anyway, he's getting out to his car and he actually's driving a rental. Claude at that time was, dri- he was driving a Saab 9000. And the Saab didn't have a fifth gear. So he had to get a rental to get around. I guess just to hang the flyers? That's kind of crazy if you think about it. I have to get a rental vehicle so I can get around to hang up the flyers to get ready for my upcoming tour because my car can't go on a highway. Well, I mean, I know that (laughs) this is off topic already, but my brother had a couple of different Saabs. And I know they were always a bitch to get worked on. Yeah. So maybe maybe his sob was just in the shop for like an extended period of time. So he was like, ah, fuck it. I'll just get a rental until my my sob is done. So could have just been him with a rental for, you know, a few weeks or, or uh, a couple of months. But isn't that crazy in and of itself that like he wasn't in his actual car? Yeah, that becomes important to the story. Yeah. As we shall see. Yeah. So anyway, he's driving on I-78 in New Jersey, which um, also extends into Pennsylvania, uh, heading through like Allentown and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. this is the New Jersey side of that. And anyway, uh, the story goes, and this is from Claude's lips, but he doesn't remember all of this. So this was told to him, I think, by the authorities. But uh, he veered to the left to avoid a car that had just slammed on the brakes in front of him. 
And then there was a tractor trailer right behind him. It did the same thing as him, but it didn't have space and it was too big. So it rammed him, which shoved him into oncoming traffic. And then he was T-boned. Interestingly, just a few years later, the truck driver who rammed Claude from behind and sent him into oncoming traffic actually was involved in a fatal accident and ended up getting charged with careless driving and equipment violations. So sometimes karma comes into play and sometimes what goes around comes around. You know, fate. Can't escape your fate. Can't escape your destiny. I mean, just listening to you describe the accident, I get like cringy. I mean, it, it's it's insane the fact that he survives such an accident like that. And that's a highway. Yeah, man. Just you describing it, it's like, oh my God. Like, I can't even imagine such a terrible accident. And the fact that he lives is a miracle. Yeah, man, totally. But yeah, dude, you know, it is. You're right. It is crazy. This is serious shit we're talking about. Oh, my God. Uh, the car was all mangled up. They actually had to pull the top off. And he certainly was devastatingly injured. Just to kind of run down his uh, injuries, he suffered multiple fractures of the pelvis, severe brain trauma, blood clotting in the brain, resulting in paralysis on the left side, fractured jaw, damage to his vision uh, that caused vertigo and dizziness, muscle damage to his legs and back. And that's Claude as quoted in Denver Post, FYI. Wow. So yeah, dude, I mean, that's pretty intense when you think about oncoming traffic on a highway. You know, he's like, obviously, seriously lucky to have survived. And I had mentioned the, the rental, and that's actually important because Claude ends up being a John Doe at the hospital for two days. Mm -hmm. uh, his ID gets misplaced, filed away at the hospital. His identifying materials, for some reason, get filed away and separated from him. So they don't know who he is for two days. Right. And it's crazy because his dad actually drove through the accident scene. But because he was driving a rental, the dad didn't even like think anything of like, oh, you know, it could be my son, you know? So it's crazy. Like, and then he ended up being unknown for two days in the hospital. And the fact that the information for the accident would have had his rental car as like the details. So probably no one knows or, or, you know, maybe one other person knew, oh, Claude had that rental car or whatever. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They couldn't just run a license plate. And then, you know, and he, the way he explained it, and this is from just a heads up to Drummer's Resource podcast, Claude recounts it like there's no real explanation for why he gets put into the hospital as a John Doe. Like, why, why was this, like, he had his ID and stuff like shouldn't have it was a mistake in other words like he shouldn't have been filed as a john doe they had his information yeah like somebody just didn't put the pieces together of like oh make sure that the man who was in the accident has his stuff here like you know someone probably just took that to somewhere else you know the local police station or something whereas he was sent to the hospital you know yeah and so meanwhile his wife assembles everyone apparently his dad, I'm not clear on exactly what they said, but 
he was some kind of director with the police. So he was having like state people looking for him. So everyone was looking for Claude. Mm -hmm. And we actually chatted with tomato sound of urchin because he actually played at the whiskey bar, which is one of the shows that are about to come up. And then also at the Bowery ballroom benefit shows, he opens for ween for those as well. Yeah, man. So we talked to him to get his input on, um, on all of this stuff. And he said that he was actually up in Massachusetts, Burkefest, which is just mm-hmm. this like hippie festival. Yep. And actually, interestingly enough, Glenn was up there with him as well because they were playing at a jam festival. Tomato thought it'd be cool to bring in a piano, uh, even though there's not usually a piano for Sound of Virgin. So Glenn was actually up there with Tomato uh, when they found out about Claude's disappearance and so they were just like oh shit man you're like not again like that's what he expressed like you know a few years before that do you remember exactly when it was a guy named dave anderson went missing in new hope and ended up finding him in the canal dead right right and that was like kind of a flashback uh dave anderson which is a new hope uh local who lived in uh um lived in a farmhouse with everybody and he went missing and he was found in the in the uh in the river like you know a bunch of days later but so we had flashbacks to that from a few summers before like oh my god claude's missing but it was just kind of like crazy crazy shit and the way tomato recounts it is that uh you know back then new hope was kind of like this witchy place you know yeah you know and so all these other people they're just kind of like oh shit Claude's missing. Like, where is he? Right. Like he's a John Doe. So no one knew what was going on. Right. And with this other stuff going on, like in new hope and just everyone sort of, there's this eerie sense of like, not again. Mm -hmm. It's sort of how he expressed it. Yeah. He definitely confirms that that was sort of the first thing that they had heard is that Claude was missing. Yeah. And so that's kind of crazy. You know, after two days, and I guess this was kind of running right up to when they found him, Mickey said he expected they to find a body. Crazy, man. And then uh, newspapers were are still a thing back then that people actually read. And the hospital ran a John Doe uh, ad in the paper, and Claude's mom read it. And then they ran to the hospital in Newark. And, and then he was no longer a John Doe. Yeah, it's just a... It's just a crazy happenstance. And especially back then, you know, sort of like, you know, before this, the smartphone era, you know, tomato also talks about that and being, you know, away and being at a festival and they were kind of like, okay, spotty service at their hippie festival and getting all the information and whatnot, you know, different time. Yeah, dude. It's like, it's not like everyone just suddenly heard it on their Facebook feed, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And and he's at the hospital for a while, dude. He had a hardcore road back to road of recovery. Yeah, man. Apparently, he had to relearn parts of speech and memory and ways to communicate, and whilst the walking, he couldn't walk for two months. Crazy, man. Yeah, dude. He actually showed. He actually comes to the uh, concerts for Claude, which we're gonna get to a little bit later. They bring him up in a wheelchair. Fred was telling us that story. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can talk about talk about the kind of his road to recovery. 
His sister gives him a Cabot Zinn, Dr. John Cabot Zinn book. That's a guy who advocates like meditation and mindfulness. And we um, talk about this in our episode where we uh, review Amandla. Mm -hmm. But Claude saw this as like a huge, it became a huge part of his recovery. And so do you want me to read some of this quote from Claude? Yeah, please. This is from Glide, by the way. But Claude says that Abitzin teaches us lessons on acceptance as well as courage with grace. We need to accept all the crap along with the positive. It's all the essence of the living experience that makes being alive so precious. In studying his teachings, my already pretty high threshold of pain and discomfort has become limitless. The struggles, tribulations, and trials of being alive are exactly the same as life's joys, gifts, accomplishments, and with this understanding comes a reduction of the soaring stress in the body that the pain causes, which is great and without rest. I haven't had a day without pain in five years, perhaps for the rest of life while I'll be dealing with it. But in accepting and processing the pain, I've still found tremendous enjoyment in everything I do. So that was around 2007 because it had been five years after. Wow, man. I mean, it's beautiful. It really is. And the fact that like, you know, someone can take an experience like that and there again, you know, to, to me, I, I, I listen to that quote and it's kind of like, well, you know, lucky to be alive and still on the earth. You know, a lot of people would just get, you know, sore about it. Oh, woe is me. This happened to me and whatnot. But Claude uses it, you know, Claude uses it to come back. Totally. And, you know, just an amazing man. He really is. Yeah, dude. It's like trying to turn these negatives into positives. Yeah. And uh, using it as a way to motivate yourself. Understanding that it's part, part of the whole package, you know. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I went to a therapist just about daily. I forget what the what the uh, article said, but it must have been like six hours a day or something, like five days a week. And then three of those days, he also went to the gym for several hours after that. So he was like an intense recovery, and he plays a couple shows. With Ween, or as Ween in December of 2002, and then like early 2003, which is kind of miraculous because the accident's in August. Unbelievable. Unbelievable to think that later that same year, even though it was the end of the year, he would actually be playing music again. That's basically like four months later, he's actually starting to play. Yeah. And he talks about how his perception and the paralysis actually affects his drumming in that he doesn't have the placement of his hand properly. And he would be hitting his knuckles a lot on the drum and actually bleeding a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously cuts and stuff. And he said it took him seven months to get back to where he didn't have to think about all of that. And, and I imagine he probably still hit his knuckles some of the time, but he says it took about seven months before it was like, kind of like he was getting back to normal. As far as the drumming wow. goes. And that kind of takes us to the next, to the actual, when Ween starts to tour again. So more or less, there's like a seven month period where Ween does, uh, not quite a dozen. I mean, they scatter about, about 10 shows or so. Right. Over the seven month period. So they're not completely dormant. And a lot of those are with Josh Freeze, which we'll get to uh, in a little bit. 
But yeah, dude, that's kind of the story of Claude's accident, which sets all of this other shit into motion, right? Right. And so I don't know if you want to kind of jump in and talk a little bit about the whiskey bar. Yeah. So August 22nd is the next quote-unquote ween show in 2002. Now, we're not 100% clear on this, but when, when talking to Tomato, he kind of explained that the Whiskey Bar in Hoboken, New Jersey, was already booked for a mandala to play, which would make sense because, you know, like we said, the beginning of August is Claude's accident, so you would think he's already got some dates lined up for the Amandla shows. Yeah, totally. So rather than just canceling it, they get together between Mickey and Aaron, Tomato, Dave, and they kind of put on what they called Claude Aid. So this is sort of like the first night of the whole experience. This is an absolutely amazing night in terms of not just the band's history, but the history of the whole Ween family tree. Yeah, dude. It's instant death, followed by Ween, and then Sound of Urchin. Okay? When I talk about firsts and lasts, this night is basically loaded with them. I mean, the fact that... (laughs) The fact that Ween, even though, I mean, obviously they're considered to be the headliner, you know, whatever, they play second and not the last act of the night. And this is the last time up until, you know, the current day that it's Mickey and Aaron with just the dat machine. Yeah, dude. So there's, it's just the two guys with no other band. Now they do play... LMLYP is the last song and they have Tomato from Sound of Urchin play drums with them. Mm-hmm. And it's a fucking sick-ass LMLYP. But it's the last time that the two guys would play with the Dat Machine. This was it. Yeah, dude. No, it's really cool. It's, it's the last time they would do that. And that's it's interesting when you think about from August 7th to the 22nd, right? We're talking about just over two weeks. And so this was, it was right. like, oh, the venue's already booked for a mandala. And it's, I love that there's obviously the immediate thought, let's try to raise some money for Claude. Yeah. And the whiskey bar is just a little place in Hoboken, which totally makes sense for like an Amandla show, I think. It's got this, the, the, so there's got the three show, three bands in the lineup. And they each, they all play really kind of very short sets. And you can actually listen to this on archive.org. It takes a little bit of trickery finding it. The all combined, it, it can't be more than like an hour and forty-five minutes or something, and that's for like all three bands. Yeah, each band does a very short set, but between all three of them together, it's kind of like one full night. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, it's great. I mean, I wish I had gone. Like, oh, forget it. It's definitely something I don't even remember if I ever even heard about. I don't know how. You know, I don't know how much. That's not any information we were able to find, like as far as like how much it was a they were able to market it. Obviously, it was just thrown together. Right. And it's just kind of amazing to think that, okay, well, you know, obviously Claude's out. Like, what do we do? And Ween sort of went back on their, you know, history. Well, this is what we did before we had a drummer. I know, like you can't go on without a drummer. Yeah, they coughed up the tapes. You know, all right, well, let's just break out the tape. 
Yeah. <laughs> At one point in the evening, Aaron says, oh, well, this tape's from 1991, so that's all we got. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's amazing because they did a few shows. They did a whole tour without Glenn. Right. Right? Can you do... Can you do too many without a drummer, right? And so it's kind of like we we got to bring out the the dat because that's our that's our drum backing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Instant death opens, which is great. Yeah, they end with a na- the enabler, which is a good highlight. I'll go ahead and read the Ween set list. Yeah. And we can talk a little bit about it. Uh, I mean, so it's all old school shit. So you've got You Fucked Up, Tom and Bitch, Cover It With Gas and Set It On Fire, Seconds, I Can't Put My Finger On It, Ode to Renee, Papa Zit, LMLYP. So they have eight songs. Instant Death has six. Ween does eight. And they're all relatively short, except LMOIP. It's kind of crazy because there's some banter, you know, going back and forth between Aaron and Mickey. So Aaron says uh, at the beginning, Well, we are Ween Sons drummer tonight because Mr. Claude Coleman is a little under the weather. So let's uh, give our prayers to him tonight. But what's kind of funny also is Mickey says, uh, I think maybe they play You Fucked Up and then, or or maybe it's it's right before they start also. Mickey says, uh, We're bringing it up here, so if there's anything you want to hear, just tell us what it is. And it's like, how can you take requests with the dat tape? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's like, that's the opposite of winging it. You know what I mean? Like, what? What is? Like, why would he say that? But and then I think they play a couple of songs, and he says something to the effect of, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, it, it, you know, your requests have to be like ten plus years old at this point. You know, it's all all old shit on the uh, on the tape. It's like, well, then why were you saying people should make requests at all? <laughs> like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> and Nikki, they're they're asking people what they want to hear. I don't. It'd be interesting to know if they were actually taking requests or just saying that to say it i mean i guess if there is something that he could play with just the guitar and just stop the tape so there's just no um you know backing behind it and it's just him on guitar you know aaron mm-hmm. on guitar or uh, mickey on guitar and aaron on vocals you could do that mm-hmm. but anyway just kind of those funny little quotes throughout the night totally um you know there's not too many like musical highlights for this to talk about Ode to Renee is is pretty rare. They and at this point, I don't think they'd played it since like '96, so it's, it had been a few years. 
and seconds features some great Gene falsetto. LMLYP is definitely the highlight of the Ween set with Tomato on the drums. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tomato comes on and plays drums, and uh, that's a pretty sick jam. Yeah, dude. No, they jam that out, really. They have, like, an extended vocal jam with the lyrics from Alphabet Street, the Prince lyrics that they do. Mm -hmm. Diener has this great solo near the end. And they wrap it up by saying, wishing our brother Claude Coleman a very happy and speedy recovery. We all love him very much. You know, it's very endearing how they, like, mentioned Claude and, 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 and him not being well, but not being, like, overly, like, detailed and like oversharing you know it was interesting and you could tell is you probably don't want to say too much it's not their business to but also i bet it's it's hard it'd be hard to talk about it i'm sure oh sure yeah at this point he's in the hospital it's day by day that's pretty early on in the whole process mm -hmm. sound of urchin wraps up the night and there's some sweet so my favorite thing on this Sound of Urchin set is Tomato opens by singing Coldplay a cappella. <laughs> They're all yellow. The Wallace Why won't they shine for you? I don't know if I have the words right or not. And I think um, when we talked to him, uh, you said something about, oh, yeah, you started off with Coldplay. And he just said, of course I did. <laughs> He was not ashamed. <laughs> Tomato was on was pretty loud and proud. And this is like a pretty hardcore metal. It was a metal night in general. Like, you know, pretty, pretty hardcore metal night. But Sound of Urchin was on fire. He's talking about Reverend B. Ill. He's the lover of the band, he says. He says he's the fucking lover of the band. He makes love with everyone on the road. He made love to everyone at the whiskey bar. <laughs> And then it's funny because an interesting little slice of Ween history, and this kind of becomes important actually for some other things we're talking about, is there was a um, event they ended up calling Retardo Palooza that they put on at like a um, strip club. Yeah, like yeah, peep show. A peep, um, yeah, peep, I'm sorry, peep theater. show in uh, in September with is it Moist Boys are with them and Instant Death. Yeah. So he, he talks about that during this night. So that would sort of, you know, and we'll, we'll get back to it in our, our sort of like wrap up and everything, but that sort of leads on to another era of uh, the Ween spinoffs and another, uh, another section of the, um, the Ween history. Totally. Retardo Palooza couldn't have been planned until just then, because if Claude's, Getting ready for a mandala. If Ween's getting doing Quebec and gearing up for a tour coming up in the fall, then they're not doing Moist Boys. They're not doing like, you know, Dave's not doing Instant Death. 
Right. So this is clearly in response to Claude's accident. Right. That they're suddenly just like, oh, let's get this together. Let's do this. Right. Let's put on some shows. Yeah, man. Right? Uh, and that's up coming in September. It's insane. Green, Green, Gold is, an, is a good highlight from The Sound of Virgin, which is one of their old jams from their EP. Ooh, oh, my God! Rock, gold, we rock! Yeah, this is still in. Well, I mean, this is this is in the the, the early days of. <laughs> well, it's in the early days of Urchin, where they were just they're slaying it, man. You know, they start off with a real metal couple of tunes, and you know, slow it down a little bit into some of their classics, like Zen Magic Marker and Green Green Gold. But man, they're they're on fire. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And, and you know, Tomato a few times is like exhorting the crowd. He's like, we're going to play metal, fuckers. And shit like that. <laughs> He's just ridiculous. It's funny. Uh, one of the funny things, you you mentioned how the order that they played, Ween played in the middle. And Fred, Fred said one of his memories is that everyone was pissed off because people were coming in like toward the end, like expecting like Ween to be the last one to play. But they played in the middle. That's why you got to get there for the beginning of the show. No matter I know, who's dude. on, you know, no matter who you're going to see, you got to get there for the for the opening act because you never know what's going to happen. And why wouldn't you want to see Instant Death and uh, Sound of Urchin anyway? Well, there's probably a lot of people that didn't realize that it's going to be people from you know the other Ween bands that are going to open the night or you know whatever. Yeah, you know, people don't necessarily they just get the ticket because they see Ween on it. Right. Well, it's funny because that's something that, you know, apparently Mickey actually has a penchant of with like voice boys and whatnot to like be like, oh, let's go. Let's go. uh, We don't want to go last because we want to actually get done and be able to hang out and like party. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was probably part of it as well for that evening. But yeah, dude, I mean, people coming in late. You know, you miss your ween, the ween, and and it's like to miss ween with the dat, and then sound of urchins, like, and then you're there for sound of urchin, and they just like tore you a new one, but you were already sad. (laughs) But you're already sad. I'm kind of like jealous of anyone who was at the the whiskey bar show. Yeah, because that sounds like a lot of fun, and actually have the audio for that, so it's great. Yeah, a real like monumental night. In the, the, the history, of, again, not just of, of Ween, but of the whole, you know, Ween tree, the whole Ween family, you know, was there to represent Claw that night, especially. It exemplifies how everyone has like a family mentality and everyone circles the wagons, right? Like Claude gets hurt mm-hmm. and then everyone's springing out of the woodwork, try to support him and like bring the community together. Right. One of the things that, that we think is really interesting about this whole situation is the silver lining is how this helped bring out the community more. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that are able to happen 
within the whole ween community that may not have kind of churned out like at that time if this hadn't happened right not obviously i'd rather that the accident never happened but it's kind of like interesting that these other things never would have happened either yep you know so it's kind of like yep. it's fate you know i mentioned fate earlier you know i'm in a very like roadhouse mood you know like a rule your fate you know wow i know and i'm watching the witcher right now and so that's all about destiny and boobs it's kind of like um <laughs> netflix's answer to game of thrones i think i was just gonna say sounds like game of thrones yeah it's not quite as racy though anyway now i digress now i digress <laughs> so the next couple of events they have to fill in with the they have to get a fill-in drummer so who gets picked to fill in for claude None other than Josh Freeze. Now, at the time, you know, I have to admit, I didn't really know anything about him. I think maybe I had sort of like heard the name once or twice. And we talked about him a little bit when we covered the John and Peter show that we were at. But Josh Freeze is basically one of the best drummers for hire of all time. Yeah, dude. He's illustrious. At this point that we're talking about in 2002, we're pretty sure there was a big connection through the Queens of the Stone Age because he played with them and so did Mickey. And you know what? So did Dave Grohl. And hey, cut to now, who gets tapped to join Foo Fighters after Taylor Hawkins' death? Josh Freeze. So here we are. Josh Freeze was a part of Ween history for this little period of time. It's interesting how Ween fits into that puzzle, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, it's just like, okay, what do those things have to do with each other between Dave Grohl, Mickey, and Josh Freeze, Queens of the Stone Age? You know what I mean? So it's just a funny little thing. Yeah, totally. You know, that that all sort of like stems from there. But, you know, Josh Freeze would go on to do uh, some amazing work with um, Guns N' Roses, Devo. As a matter of fact, I kind of wonder how they're going to do that. Like if he'll still be able to drum for Devo now that he's joined up with Foo Fighters. Because I think even still to this day, when Devo goes on tour, it's Josh Freeze as, uh, as drummer. Interesting. Yeah, but a lot of other uh, great acts too, like Sting. So just a really uh, amazing career, and he was the one that uh, that filled in for Claude and and does some uh, just amazing work filling in for for Claude and learning a shitload of songs. We we talk about this last episode's the John and Peter's show show B for October October sixth which are like the warm-up shows for the concerts for Claude, which is kind of like the big whole reason why it's like, okay, we're going to play Ween and we need, we need a drummer. And they bring him in basically just like a couple days before that. Between the two Bowery Ballroom shows, there's about 50 songs that he has to like pick up and learn in a couple days. And an interesting fact is that Claude doesn't, didn't write anything down. So they, he just had to listen to tapes. Wow. 
unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. And, you know, if you're, I guess, really skilled and you have a good ear, like, I guess that's not as challenging as it sounds, but it's badass in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty impressive to me. That, yeah, you know, you put on the headphones and you start playing along and you're like listening to what he's doing and you're playing along. So, you know, he's a competent drummer and, and by all not trying to like, you know, you know, overly inflate his like being. But like, you know, everyone says great things about him. I know Claus said he's like Superman. Tomato is like, he's the guy that could learn a song, master it, go in the studio and kill it. I thought he did a great job at John and Peter's. And, th and those are the first two shows. And those would be the ones where, where if he was going to be the rustiest or rockiest, those would be the shows. But I really feel like it wasn't, there wasn't much of a drop off, you know? Oh, definitely not. He was able to come in, come in and fill in, you know, pretty legit. Oh, just about right away. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing lesser about those shows at all. You know, someone could listen to any one of those nights uh, where Josh, Josh Freeze is filling in for Claude and not to say you wouldn't miss Claude or anything like that, but you, you wouldn't think it was any lesser of a band. Not, yeah. not one bit. Not one bit. So do you want to kind of run down the list of all of the shows with him playing? Well, yeah, dude. We mentioned the two John and Peters, and those are October 6th. And then they do the two concerts for Claude, October 7th and 8th at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City. Mm -hmm. And then they do a pair of shows down in the Carolinas, Halloween and November 1st. At, uh, the first one's in the Millennium Center in Winston-Salem. And uh, November 1st is the House of Blues at Myrtle Beach. And we, you can listen to the John and Peter shows. That we found those on archive.org. Unfortunately, the recordings, right. especially of show A, pretty that the recording is pretty poor. And one of the legends of the Bowery Ballroom shows, the concerts for Claude, which is kind of where we're heading next in this conversation anyway. So I'm not spoiling anything too soon. That that there there isn't at least as far as anyone that we've talked to is aware. There's not any audio. You can't listen to those shows. But we were able to get a hold of the November 1st show from Fred and the House of Blues at Myrtle Beach. And that's a fantastic, that's a really nice recording. So that's Fred's tape. And he actually said, he Fred was at all these shows. And he actually said, he in his opinion, November 1st was the best of the group. Which is like the last one to have them. You know, it's House of Blues on the beach. So like, kind of feels right to have that be the best. Josh Freeze experience, you know? Yeah. Wow, man. So that's a general rundown of the Josh Freeze situation. It's only these six shows. It's just crazy to think. So I, I feel blessed that I got to at least one of them. Yeah. I mean, I could sit here and beat myself up that, you know, I wasn't at either the whiskey bar or the, uh, the Bowery, one of the Bowery ballroom nights, but you know, I, I'm just so grateful that we were able to get to one of the shows with Josh Freeze. I don't think we, you know, obviously at the time we didn't really think that much of it. You know, I wasn't yeah. even sure who we who he was. Oh, okay, fill in drummer. That's all I knew. You know what I mean? But I know, I I know I was bummed. I, I I guess I felt like I didn't know that much about what was going on. Just feeling like, oh, bummed. Oh, there's not Claude there. 
Like it's somehow right, right, lesser. Right. Whereas now I look back and I just realize that that was like a part of history that we, yeah, we got to be right. a part of. Mm-hmm. And it was good and it still was good. Like it still was, you know, there was nothing bad about the shows. We were on the correct side of ween history on that one. Yeah, totally. That's one way to think about it. We wanted to take some time and talk about the Bowery Ballroom shows. So how about we talk about that, dude? Yeah, man. You know, it's we we could sit here and say over and over and over, well, there's no recordings of them, but basically the idea of both of the nights was sort of a extended plan, a more a more thought out and planned out event between the two nights similar to what they did in Hobo. Yes. In other words, let's get let's get everyone together. Let's do a a, a full blown ween show with Josh Freeze on the drums, but we'll have everybody come and play between Instant Death, Sound of Urchin, Chris Hartford. So everyone sort of gets in on on you know one of those two nights. I think there was a sense that the um, Hoboken show went so well and it was such a good vibe. And the helping Claude out, but getting all the bands together. They had Ween shows already booked. And then it was, dude, let's do this. Let's make this happen, you know? Yeah, and it's sort of like the closest thing to what I would consider to be like a Ween festival. You know, I know back in those days, we always would sort of like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a whole weekend of... You know, Ween plus Urchin plus, and you just keep naming all the different Moist Boys. This was, you know, I, 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 I am pains to say, is there another event or another couple of nights that are as close to that as these two? If there was, I don't know what they would be. Like, well, the shirt lists all the bands involved, and you got Ween, Sound of Urchin, Chocolate Genius, Instant Death. Chris Harford and the Band of Changes, and Sharif and Burgundy. Yeah, dude, I don't know. Is there another time when you have all of these in one place like this? I don't I don't think so. I really don't. Not as like a whole night, two nights of music. Yeah, had they gotten together to play music together? Of course they have for like a set at John and Peter's or something. To have it, like you said, be like a festival. Like this was it, man. And let's not forget that the... Night that we saw John and Peters was a Sunday. So these are the following two nights. Yeah. Monday and Tuesday. Pull off of two sets on a Sunday and then go right into two nights, Monday, Tuesday. And yeah. Like, Josh Freeze, Nuts. you ready for this, motherfucker? <laughs> and we actually have an interesting anecdote to share that we um, received from... Our friends Greg and Marcus, who I met on Facebook, and Greg is a um, Greg is a big music guy and a big Ween fan, and he him and Marcus were actually at the Bowery Ballroom shows. Um, but but Greg's a guy who's working at uh, CMJ magazine back in the day, which was what's a college. What's it stand for? Uh, it stands for College Media Journal. And I knew they did like music reporting and other reporting like that. Anyway, he actually drove Aaron to the shows. He thinks it's, he, yeah, it's 20 years. 
he definitely drove him one night. He thinks he remembers it was both. But anyway, it definitely was one night. So Greg's buddy, Greg had a friend named Kenny. I was name dropping people I don't even like really know. Kenny, how you doing, Kenny? Anyway, Kenny was a bartender <laughs> at the 11th Street Bar in New York, which is like a mile north of the Bowery Ballroom, more or less. And I don't know, Greg describes him as one of those classic New York City bartenders who knows everyone. And so Kenny knew Aaron. And Aaron's on the phone with Kenny. And next thing you know, he's just like, hey, Aaron needs a ride. So Greg was like, I'll give you a ride. And, you know, it's a shame because we were at the same bar that night. And, you know, if I would have known. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty cool. And, you know, it's pretty awesome because he actually like he's like, yeah, we and we we like kind of talked to Aaron, you know, which is really neat. Because I feel like if I was doing that, I would have like just like sat there like an idiot and not said a word the whole time. (laughs) You know, and so he was like, yeah, we we actually asked him about Josh Freeze. And it's notable because Aaron was very just praising him. He's like, he was super confident. Aaron was like, he was literally the only guy who could handle the gigs. Yeah. I mean, you get the, you get the sense from talking to Greg that Aaron sort of portrayed without Josh freeze, we wouldn't be able to pull this off, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. That's a, that's heady praise. Yeah, totally. That's pretty cool. And right before the shows, you know, it's like he's like, these are like fans, you know, they're like driving you to the show and you're just like, oh, man, Josh Freese is awesome. That's really cool going into it because obviously there was a lot of concern about Claude and then, oh, what's the show going to be like without Claude? You know, like everyone was there, like obviously hoping and and thinking it'll be good, but also wondering what's Ween going to do? And this is just a new drummer. Having low expectations, right? It's kind of like we're here to support, to see Ween and enjoy ourselves, but also to support Claude and we'll take what we can get. But it ended up just being like amazing because Josh Freese is amazing. And uh, in that car, that was also where I guess Aaron mentioned the Queens of the Stone Age as the connection. Yeah, man. So that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool little tidbit. The first night, which is October 7th, the Monday, the lineup, and this is, I, I'm going to say not 100% confirmed, but I think we think we have this correct. Uh, these these aren't really, these lineups aren't really listed on like Brown Base or anywhere. And the t-shirt doesn't list them in the correct order or anything. So this is based on people who were there kind of giving us the heads up. It starts, so it goes Instant Death, Urchin, and then Ween. It's actually interesting that the Hoboken show was Instant Death, Ween, Urchin. Right. But this one reverts it for like a real ween show. <laughs> it reverts it. That's kind of funny. <laughs> and then the second night, apparently Harford, Chocolate Genius, and Ween. Uh, the Sharif and Burgundy, to be honest, I'm not sure who that is. I think there's some other people from a mandala that might be oh, is that- Sharif. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that either. Okay, okay. That makes sense that it would be like the rest of a mandala is... Yeah, that's good. Good heads up. Right. But I'm not sure where they fit into the lineup. Right. Right. But they probably were second. They probably were the second night if if uh, Tomato played the first night and he doesn't remember them being part of the first night. And just an interesting little tidbit about like the whole history. And, you know, my impression was always that like all of those bands played both nights. 
But that's not the case. It was only Ween that played both of those nights, and the other ones uh, was either one night or the other. Mm-hmm. So, interesting little tidbit. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. So, a little bit of interesting stuff to share. I, I guess we can start with night one, and then we can get to night two. But Instant Death is dressed up like Clockwork Orange with bowler hats. <laughs> and like we said, we haven't listened to the show, but we have the Ween set list. There's not a lot to say about it. Not too many uncommons. I think that's a theme with with um, Josh Freeze is that there's not too many rares, but they do still keep some rares in the mix. Do do we want to read the set list? Yeah, let's let's just read them. Yeah. All right. So for night one is Take Me Away, Captain Fantasy, Don't Get Too Close to My Fantasy, Waving My Dick in the Wind, Mr. Richard Smoker, Bananas and Blow, Roses Are Free, Push a Little Daisies. The Mollusk, Ocean Man, I'll Be Your Johnny on the Spot, Zoloft, Buckingham Green, The HIV Song, Spinal Meningitis, Marble Tulip Juicy Tree, Back to Basem, Stroker Ace, You Fucked Up, Dr. Rock, Touch My Tutor, Voodoo Lady, and then for the encore, Someday. It's awesome. Greg's recollection is that the opening of the show was really kind of was pretty metal, pretty rock. Take me away into Captain Fantasy. And it, I always love the old the double fantasy, I call oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and I'm not talking John. It's a way to get a little John Lennon reference uh-huh. in there, I suppose. Uh-huh. But a little take me away into Captain Fantasy into don't get too close to my fantasy. And then waving my dick in the wind would have been a great one to see Josh Freeze like rock out. But I know that was like a rock block. Yeah, man. To open things up and let every let everyone know things were going to be all right. And then they apparently had a really dirty voodoo lady as well to wrap up the the main set. But the, not too many rarities. Just a couple. Back to Basem, 149 times. Someday, 114. This is only the 13th time Someday's been played. I think, isn't Someday, wasn't it just brought out that that? That year as well, yes. just like Zoloft. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my impression of this set list is that it's a safe set list, but it's a well-rounded set list. They, you just threw Josh Freeze into the fire. You know, all of these songs were played the day before in at least one of the two shows at John and Peter's. So none of these are newbies to him. Well, but just the just the fact that they would throw in, you know, a, a a new song at all, you know, for any of the nights is is yeah. amazing, but there's two of them. So basically like if you saw every every show that year, you'd be like, "Oh, okay, there is still a couple of the new songs, Zoloft and Someday." Totally. And Zoloft, you know, it's interesting. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know, Zoloft is played, I think it's one of the two or three songs that's played at both John and Peter shows the day before. Right. And it's it, it it's a little bit rocky, at least the first one. It's a little rocky actually with Freeze and everyone figuring this figuring the chemistry out. But then by the second John and Peter show, Zoloft is better. And then I can tell you by the time they get to the House of Blues, it's it's freaking it's just beautiful. Awesome. Long extended jam, got some great drum, <laughs> you got the great the Glenn. Gimme that C O L O F T. You know, it's a it's a great song. Just because it's played a lot doesn't mean it's not great. 
Yeah, man. <laughs> but let's roll on to the second night. Okay. So this is the second night, October 8th, at the Bowery. They open with Ice Castles, then the Golden Eel, the Stallion Part 3, Piss Up a Rope, Spinal Meningitis Got Me Down, Take Me Away, Waving My Dick in the Wind, Bananas and Blow, Voodoo Lady, Albino Sunburn Girl, Ooh La La, Dr. Rock, Fat Lenny, Booze Me Up and Get Me High, Roses Are Free, The Mollusk, Spring Theme, Exactly Where I'm At, You Fucked Up, Stroker Ace, I Can't Put My Finger On It, Zoloft, Buckingham Green, and If You Could Save Yourself, You'd Save Us All, which is a pretty awesome way to end it. Okay, so a couple of repeats from the night before. It wasn't really like they were doing, you know, each night had to be completely different or anything like that. I see Voodoo Lady. I see Waving My Dick in the Wind. Take Me Away repeats. Buckingham Green. Zoloft. That's already more repeats than they did in the two John and Peters. The second show has a lot more uncommons. I mean, well, a couple more anyway. Ice Castles is 147. Albino Sunburn Girls, 86. And this is uh, the only the seventh time Uvala was played. Is, is that another one that was brought out this year? Yeah, I think that's another. Yeah. Like, I, I would say between Albino Sunburn Girl, Uvala, and also if you could save yourself, those would, would have been the new ones for that night. Yeah, well, Albino Sunburn Girl was 23 times. I, I feel like that had to have been before 2002 then. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, you're right. But Uvala totaled 19 times, so that is a true rarity. Yeah, that's pretty rare. And then if you could if you could save yourself, this is the sixth time that was ever played because it just started being played that year, but only 23rd time overall. That's pretty damn rare. And then spring theme is another another rare one, 73 times. Greg said that was the Greg and Fred both. Ooh, it kind of rhymes. Greg and Fred. It's like a gay bar or something. Greg and Fred's. <laughs> uh, they both they both mentioned spring theme as as like the highlight. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, what else is there? Harford open night opened up the night with an all girl woodwind and string group. <laughs> awesome. So that was cool. You know, and that was funny because that made me think of we chatted with Fred. And one of the things he said about Harford is that like he always brings things to the show that are like different or like unexpected. And it, and um, you know, I guess you know, got the band's called the Band of Changes. So that's really cool with the all girl woodwind string group. Yeah, man, I never knew he did that. I I, I have to look into that and see how long he actually um uh, did that with. Maybe that was just that night. He was just like, I, I'm going to bring this all girl group in. Just that would be cool. Could have only happened that one night. Yeah, man. Yeah. But yeah, just looking at it, I feel like night two was the better of the two nights. But then again, Sound of Virgin was part of the night one. Yeah, that's true. So that that gets a little bit. Uh, how do you how do you sort that out? <laughs> I guess just go to both nights. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I know you know we know Fred was there for for both of these nights, and it's like, ah, you lucky prick. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so our buddies Greg and Marcus, I do think I just want to share some of what they they said. So they they gave us like kind of like their final thoughts, sort of thing. So you want me to just read these? Yeah, please do. 
So this is Greg. And he says, this is of Josh Freeze. So we're kind of like, you know, got a little bit more to say about Josh Freeze, I guess. He stepped into Ween with a nanoseconds prep time and literally became CCJ for two nights. He wasn't just competent. He managed to duplicate Claude's parts, which is hard enough. But he also managed to duplicate his feel and touch and dynamic range. At the time of the accident, I'd say Claude was one of the most technically skilled and inventive drummers on the planet. We thought he might die after the accident, and by the time of these shows, his complete recovery was by no means guaranteed. There was a distinct possibility that the CCJ era of Ween was at an end. Josh comes into the dates as the sub nobody ever asked for and creates the highest tribute possible. He really made the whole shit work. And here are Marcus's final thoughts. That about sums it up. Freeze was spectacular on short notice, but in those shows, we saw a flash of what might have been if Claude hadn't pulled off a Superman-like recovery to ride that throne like a king once again wow man you know i should just that could have just be the whole podcast yeah i mean well put well put you know like we said at the beginning it's just it's it's one of those times in the band's history that you know you can't deny it's like oh fuck like that was a real scary time but you know, dare I say, like, exciting because it's kind of something new and, like he said, unexpected, you know? Just a, mm-hmm. a great, great quote. Great quote. Yeah, dude. No, very cool. And it was very nice to chat with those guys, and I appreciate them uh, kind of giving us their thoughts on the on the nights. Because we weren't there, I mean, like I said, so it's awesome to get some people that were there sharing with us. When we when we chatted with Fred, he we found out that he was at all the shows and he said that he actually he said, oh, the House of Blues was the best one. Oh, I have it somewhere in my stash. So Fred actually shared with us his recording of the House of Blues show. So I took some time to listen to that. So I feel like we should chat a little bit about that as well. Yeah, man. I'm not going to bother reading the set list on this one because I don't know enough enough set lists. But some of the rarities on this one, one of some of the notable things here, um, they do She's Your Baby, and it's just Aaron and Glenn. played 10 times up to that point so that's pretty awesome 68 total and then tender situation is 109 and that's always great and this one's no different and then they wrap up the first set with ohio which is uh 42 times total the uh the crosby stills national wow. tune which is fantastic and that's that wraps up the main set but what what also makes it notable is all the other tunes that they play 
up to this point in this show. And then also at the night before. And then also at the Bowery Ballroom and John and Peter's. It's all the same group of 50, 50 songs. And they kind of like, they don't play every song at every show, but they rotate through those 50. And these are the only three. They're all newbies for Josh Freeze. Wow. Uh, it's like, it's like, this is your last night with us. And we're going to add three more songs to your play. <laughs> and they're just all wonderful. I mean, they're just amazing. Wow, man. And they end the night with Someday, which is a... Uh, 114 times total. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Something that also, I guess is funny that I thought that I thought was funny and worth mentioning is before they do sketches of Winkle, it's a little Barracuda uh, tease. Ding, 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 ding. That's cool. Barracuda. <laughs> but then they like, they, they I, I think it's Mickey says something like, yeah, right. Or like, you know, we're not doing it. But it's funny when they're doing it because then you realize like, oh, it is pretty similar. The sketch is a winkle. That's cool. So just just to put, so just to kind of like, you know, put a cap on things and, 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 you know, we'll start like wrapping it up. So Claude, like we had mentioned, Claude does come back. At the end of 2002, on December 9th, they play as what's billed as a, a, a Gene Ween solo show, and Claude plays drums. Yeah. So. At the North, at North Six. North that's Six in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn right? New York. I mean, that's just crazy to me to think that he's back playing drums that same year. So, God bless him, man. Amazing. Four months earlier, August 7th, right? This is December 9th. Wow. He couldn't walk for two months. Jesus. And by four months, he's like playing. Now, they don't play a lot of shows, and I don't know what else he's doing, like musically. They then do a show in February, a couple shows early in April, and then they kind of start getting back into the touring mode uh, very end of April and May. Yeah, I mean, if and if you look at 2003... I mean, it's one of the biggest years of the band. I mean, uh, you know, Quebec comes out later that year then in, in 2003, and it's a year chock full of dates. You know, yeah, it gets off to a slow start for obvious reasons, and there isn't really a whole lot of shows in the first few months. But it's, a, it's another just jam-packed year full of shows. So look at it this way. I just pulled up some some uh, data. And due to Claude's accident, 2002 is actually the least number of shows in one year since 1991. They, they pull off about 25 for the entire year of 2002. 2003 is actually their busiest poor year wow. ever. Yeah, I mean, I would have... And Quebec comes out. You know, without looking at, at the numbers and everything, I would have guessed maybe, you know, 2000 may have topped it or, or you know, 99. But yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it's insane to think that, you know, Claude had just come back at the beginning of that year 
And, you know, we saw them a few times in 2003. And I mean, you know, they, they were amazing. Yeah. You know, so God bless the man. I mean, he's just a, a, a machine and just a real inspiration. Yeah, dude. For him to, to only have to be out a few months and then Ween's right back on top of right. it. And yeah, to, to, to the whole point, going into their busiest year ever. Yeah. Oh, with arguably their most media attention. Crazy, man. Ever. Crazy. And probably, I don't know if Quebec is their highest selling album ever, but it definitely was one that really gave them a lot of exposure. Yeah, and you know, we'll go on to talk about that in some of our in some of our upcoming episodes because we're getting into 2003. But I think a lot of people can agree that you know, it's getting into sort of like a rocky like time period. And and you know, Claude's accident sort of signifies like the beginning of that. It's interesting how it's not like an intentional thing by any right. means. It's just just the way it's right, broke right. down. And and there's this whole like flowering of the community, mm-hmm. but at the same time, dark clouds are on the right. horizon. There's so many good things that come out of this tragedy, right? But nevertheless, it's a tough time. Ween doesn't play a lot of shows. Uh, they didn't do a lot of shows in 2001. That's true. That's right? true. That was the Glen. That was the Glen hiatus mm-hmm. year. But yeah, 2003 ends up being super busy, though. And so we are going to be rocking. Uh, we're wrapping up 2002 and 2003. Like I said, they don't, they don't, they kind of, it's it's basically May is when they're kind of back on tour. They do, uh, I want to say May 30 or April 30th and then all the way through May is a tour. And then they pick back up in July. And the July tour at that point is pimping out for Quebec. Right. And then it also includes the, the Vic Theater, the Chicago, um, live in Chicago is done that fall. I believe they also have an overseas tour in the mix. It's probably the last one. It was probably the last one that I, ever happened. It may be the last time yeah. they went overseas. That's Ween anyway. Well, if we, you know, if I could just recap for a second and I'll try to just name, yeah. you know, when talking about, you know, Claude's accident and sort of like the, you know, the firsts and lasts and the, you know, the, the, the milestone moments about it, you know, there, there again, the last time that Ween played with the duo and the Dat deck, the last time that there would be someone else that would be considered to be a full on member that would fill in for like a whole show. After after this point, you know, it's really just those five guys from that point in time until today. You know, yeah, they have, you know, guests that come in and will will sit in with them for, you know, a few songs or whatever. But there was no never any time after that where, oh, we have so-and-so on, you know, drums or keyboard or bass for this entire show. That does not happen again since this time period. Mm-hmm. Some of the spinoff stuff, you know, like we had mentioned, you know, Moist Boys, you know, that springs off of this time period. And, you know, it didn't really go on to last all that long, but, you know, there for a few years, you can you can go back and look at Moist Boys dates and there was a, a decent number of them between Moist Boys 3, 4, mm. and 5. 
you know, uh, albums that come out, you know, there's a decent amount of Moist Boy shows with Tomato on drums, Dave on uh, on bass, and obviously Mickey and Guy. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what else? You know, am I forgetting anything? It's it's just like there are so many things that go back to that short little time period, and just God bless Claude for you know surviving and 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 making his comeback and everything. But just too many different milestones to ignore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked about how John and Peters is one of the few actual double bills in the same day. That's true too. That's true too. You know, and then also Bowery Ballroom is one of the few back to back. Yeah. I mean, that's more common They're, now with right. the uh the reunion right. era. But at the time. But that's yeah. really uncommon mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. Yeah. Throw th- throw those into the into the into the mix as far as, you know, things that, you know, go go into the uh into the history, you know? Yeah. No, it's wild. And then I know with Amandla, with with Claude's band, I know he talks about the album that he puts out a couple of years after this as being very cathartic for him. So even though he is working on recovery in 2002, it still ends up spurring him to do more, more recording of his That's own true. as well. It's an interesting time. And this is like in the middle of, of really like a peak time period for Ween. I mean... They're just coring a lot and putting on some amazing shows and really clicking as a five-piece band. You know, Quebec is on the horizon. So it's just kind of like in the middle of like all this shit that's happening, then this has to happen as well, you know? And it's like they don't even miss a beat. They they pull out the side projects. Uh, they may do some benefits. They bring Josh Freeze in. And then they just keep on rocking. And that's one of the sentiments that Tomato gives us is um, is that back in this time period, they, everyone was just so busy. So there was just they were always doing something, you know. And so this time period is just really like emblematic of that. And speaking of Tomato, we I do want to mention before we get off here that we'll be putting up some extra special bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, man. We'll be putting up a, a, a lightly edited version of our conversation with Tomato, as well as a few clips from our conversation with Greg. So you'll get to see some of that that yummy stuff on uh, on Patreon. Yeah, and before we wrap it up, I just want to say thank you to Tomato, Fred, our buddy Greg, and uh, and Greg's buddy Marcus. And I, w- I want to go on record and say thank you to you, Rory, because Rory did a lot of the research and, and put a lot of the stuff together for us to make notes and everything and, uh, and did an amazing job. So thanks, Rory. Well, you're welcome. Hopefully that all makes sense. Hopefully um, we put that together in a way that uh, helps everyone, I don't know, know what was going on there in that time. Yeah, I felt like there was a lot of little pieces of information and, in, you know, between the interviews that Claude did over the years and there was a few different news articles and things like that. But it, you, you sort of had to like piece together each like little bit of it. And it's like, oh, I never knew that. I never knew that either, you know. And I, I mean, I hope maybe we shed a little bit of light on the time period and maybe threw in a couple of little fun facts that, you know, you might not have known before. Yeah, dude. No, I, I think. At the end of the day, it's about the community, you know, and they really came out for Claude, but then also like kept building and creating music of their own. Yeah, man. What a great time to be alive, dude. 
I'm glad we've got to be there for some of it. Totally. All right, man. Is that, do we, as I see, we want to wrap Let's things wrap up. Yeah. Up. All right. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you so much. Anybody that's listening to this and, you know, drop us a line. Let us know if you were at any of these shows. We'd love to hear the story. Any other interesting tidbits you might have, uh, that you might know about that maybe we, uh, that maybe we left out. We'd love to hear it. So please reach out on Facebook, Twitter, Weencast podcast. So thank you so much. Peace be with you. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you.